Uh, let's go ahead and pray and then we'll start. Uh, Father, we continue to worship you, uh, Lord, and we pray that you would uh, create new joy in our hearts, that you would give us a clear vision of who you are and your gospel, and that would uh, start a flame, a fire inside of us that would grow uh, hotter and hotter each day until it's shut up in our bones and we are weary of holding it back and we cannot. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This last week, uh, Pastor Jeff Andridge and myself had a great opportunity. I'll show you a picture of it back here on the screen. Some of you know this already, but we had the opportunity to uh, welcome the new students at Northwood back to school. And it was on a Tuesday evening. It was kind of cool. It's just, uh, sort of like an expo fair that uh, Northwood invites all these vendors in and they basically give the kids like shopping bags at the beginning and say, okay, trick or treat, here you go. You know, just run from one booth to the next and grab all the um, free stuff you can and have fun and maybe you'll learn something uh, that can serve you throughout the year there as well. So there's, you know, tanning salons and there's pizza places and there also happened to be one church there as well. And we had a good time because it's, it's really neat because what happens with these college students, you kind of forget if you're just in Midland, but you walk onto this campus and all of a sudden there's all these young people from all over the place, not just in the United States, but all throughout the world, all different types of people, all different walks of life. And they're just full of exuberance and excitement and questions and they're just like full of life. And you're like, wow, this is really neat. You know, here's all this energy and, and passion. And so... We got to engage with them a little bit, and it actually worked out really well, praise be to God. The pizza people were just a couple things down, and then we also were strategically placed right next to a sorority, so that meant all the guys were coming around as well. And so they'd be walking by with pizza and uh, thirst in their mouth for various things, and there we were with a bunch of bottled water and other drinks, and uh, we got to engage on various levels. And you can see the sign there. It just says Midland Free. And so the kids were told there's various opportunities. Come up, ask what they're about, and they'll tell you. So they come up to us, and it just says Midland Free, and that's it. And I guarantee you there's not a single student there that knew what an evangelical free church was. It was amazing. And so here we are talking to them, and they'd say, so uh, what do you guys do? And I would say, well, what do you think we do? And they would say, I don't know, something's free. And I'm like, yep, right path. And they would say, uh, water. And I'm like, yeah, exactly right, we give out water. And they're like, you give out water. I'm like, yep, we've got living water. And they'd look at me and I'm like, we have water that if you drink of it, you will never thirst again. And they're still staring like, blah, blah, blah. And it was amazing, really, to interact with these kids as we're in this post-Christian society. I would, even some of them, I'd say, you know, do you have any idea what I'm talking about? No idea. So well, here's a hint. There's this teacher about 2,000 years ago. He said some pretty amazing stuff. Any ideas? No. Okay, here's another hint. He's Jewish. Ideas? No. Okay, another hint. Christmas time. Santa Claus? Like, wow. 
And so we had all kinds of great conversations. I shared the gospel directly at least four to five times, and we handed out a lot of stuff to invite people to church, and um, it was just, it was a neat experience. And if you've ever been among college students, you know how exciting this can be. These kids are at this pivotal stage in life where they're just like, what am I going to do? You know, what's before me? I have all these options. And you ask some of them that question, say, okay, what are you going to do? And they're like, well... I'm either going to be the president, Supreme Court justice, an astronaut, or a Navy SEAL. I'm like, all right, I guess you've got all of life before you. You can do any of those things. That's exciting. Because they're they're examining within themselves, you know, what is my calling? What is my purpose? What am I all about? Now, for some of us, we may be at a very different phase in life. You may be right in the middle and like, man, I am plugging away and there's no change in now and you may be towards the very end where you're like you know what time is spent journey is nearly complete and that's just not me i'm not asking those questions anymore i am where i am but the reality is this is no matter where you're at on that scale of asking what is my purpose or what is my calling i bet there's at least one day in your life where you've said to yourself man what is this all about What in the world is this all about? What am I doing? Why am I here? What's my purpose? Galatians chapter 1 is going to answer that question for you. Very specifically and very directly through the example of the Apostle Paul. He's going to say, hey, here is who I am. This is who God called me to be. And this is my purpose in life. This message is what I am all about. That's the whole chapter. That's, that's Galatians chapter 1. So if you, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm not going to read everything to you today. I'm, I'm kind of summarizing the big picture. I would encourage you to go home and read this chapter from start to finish. But for today, I want to show you the structure of chapter 1 on this slide here and just show you this is what this first chapter is all about. The first slide is in And breakdown of this chapter is just going to be this. This is Paul's confidence in his calling. What am I supposed to do? And his message or his purpose in in life. What am I all about? That's all he's going to do in this chapter. You're not going to see any commands like Christian do this or Christian do that or Christian be this or Christian be that. You're just going to see the Apostle Paul say, this is me. This is what God did. The application then that I'm going to make how that transfers to your life. This is not just information. This is the Bible. It's a value. It will change you. Is this, is just like the Apostle Paul has a calling and a purpose, so too do you have a calling and a purpose as well. And so the message for today is just that like the Apostle Paul, here's the message, just like he was confident in his calling and purpose, I want you to come away confident in your calling and purpose as well. Paul was confident, and we should be confident as well. Now, I don't have any expectations today that all of a sudden, after one magical sermon, you're going to walk out and be the next Apostle Paul. <laughs> I'm not thinking that. But what I want is for you to be able to advance at least you know, two steps forward, one step back, whatever. But the move forward to see the needle go in the right direction in your Christian life by being more confident in your calling and your message. And that's what I want from chapter 1. So we're going to look at this great example and then we're going to try to apply it to our life. 
So breaking it down more specifically, if you're a note taker, here you go. Uh, the structure of today's chapter or today's message looks like this. I'm just going to look at Paul's calling and Paul's message. And then we're going to apply that to ourselves in the same way and look at our calling and our message. So the structure for today's sermon, Paul's calling, Paul's message, our calling, our message. So let's begin then with the Apostle Paul. You know, some of us think of this like, oh, the Apostle Paul, you know, that one dude who's absolutely perfect and has got it all figured out. You know, he was just right from the beginning. How does that apply to me? But the reality is this, is when you read the biblical story, the biblical narrative, it doesn't paint that picture at all. Instead, what it shows you is a guy going in the exact opposite direction of what he should have been. As furthest from the truth as he possibly could be. Not only did he reject it and ignore it, but he hated it and tried to kill it. He persecuted it and tried to stamp it out. He didn't just say, no, that's for somebody else. He's like... I'm going to destroy that stupid stuff. He was aggressively antagonistic. He was dynamically going the wrong direction, and yet even while doing so, he thought he had it all figured out. And that's one of the things, by the way, that shows you the Bible is true, is because generally when people write their own story, they don't tell you all the bad stuff they did. (laughs) Hey, let me write my autobiography, and by the way, here's all my dirt. (laughs) Here's my baggage. Let me show it to you. You know, look, Peter... His worst moments in the Bible. Paul, his worst moments in the Bible. Jonah, his worst moments in the Bible. People don't write them stuff about themselves like that on purpose for the whole world to see. <laughs> That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So here's Paul. And his, his life is an open book to these people. They know who he is. He's messed up a lot. Not just messed up, but he has made their life miserable. He's dragged off their mothers and their fathers and their sons and their daughters and thrown them in prison. He stood there at the feet of one of their leaders while everybody picked up stones and threw it and killed him. And he's like, yeah, that's me. All kinds of baggage. Blots and black spots galore. So when he comes into this early in his ministry, this is one of the first books One of the first letters that was ever written. You look at your Bible, what you have now is this beautiful, complete picture. In the New Testament, it's being assembled and there's various letters circulating throughout the church. This letter to the Galatians is one of the first ones. It's one of the earliest letters. It's flowing right out of the book of the Acts. And you can take certain portions where he says, I visited here and visited there, and stick it right next to the stuff that's going on in Acts. And you go, wow, here's that stuff playing out. The book of Galatians is just that. Written to a group of churches in modern day Turkey, the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, here's who I am. I know you haven't met me before. I know you don't know anything about me. But I want you to understand exactly who I am. Some things you have heard, though. And what you have heard is this. Galatians chapter 1. He's like, you've heard about my former life. (laughs) You know all the dirt. Everybody's been talking about it because I'm the guy that comes around and makes your life miserable. (laughs) I'm the one who knocks on your door and beats up your kids and takes away your dads and throws them in prison. That's me. You heard of my former life in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. You know that about me. In fact, Acts chapter 8, it Uh, Don't turn there. I'll just show you the slide. It it recounts some of those horror stories. It says in chapter 8, verse 3, that Paul was 
ravaging the church. He was tearing it apart. He was entering house after house and dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. He was doing everything he could to make their life miserable and make them want to quit. You're like, that's my boss. No. (laughs) This is the Apostle Paul in New Testament Christianity. He is a lion that is ravaging and tearing apart the church. But then, all of a sudden, something strange happens. And this is Acts chapter 9. And what's happening there, I'm just going to summarize it. You can read it when you get home. It's basically, he's still breathing out. The Acts 8 is the stoning and the murder, or 7 and 8 is the stoning, murder, and all this other stuff. And 9, something weird happens. He's still breathing out murderous threats, and he goes to the high priest, and he says, hey, I want to stamp this thing out. Will you give me your blessing to go to Damascus and round up any of these crazy way or Christians and bring them back and lock them up? And the high priest is like, by all means, get rid of this bunch. And so Paul is on his way to the Damascus, and all of a sudden he's knocked to the ground. And falling off, he hears a voice, and that voice says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who is that? I have no idea who you are. And the voice answers him and says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Rise and enter the city and you will be told what to do. Everyone around him is speechless because they hear the voice, but they have no idea what's going on. And then Paul gets into the city and he's blind. And there's a disciple by the name of Ananias. And Ananias is told by Jesus, look, um, rise and go to the street called Straight. And then find this guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus. For he's seen a vision. And I want you to lay hands on him and pray. And all of a sudden, Ananias is like, "Uh, Lord, are you sure you want me to do this? Are we talking about the same guy here? The same Saul who is like killing us? You want me to go after that guy and bless him and lay hands on him? But guess what? Yes. That's the way Christianity works. There's all kinds of people who curse us and persecute us and come after us. And guess what we're supposed to do? Lay hands on them and bless them. That's our calling. So here goes Ananias and he goes for these people. Or he goes for Paul. And he comes to Paul and he says, you know, um, here I am. And I'm going to pray for you. Lord, I've heard about this guy. And Jesus says to him, no, go. Why? Verse 15 of Acts chapter 9. For he is a chosen instrument of mine. He's my chosen instrument. That day, Saul becomes Paul and his life radically and dynamically changed. As a result, at the end of Galatians chapter 1, here's what happens. When we change, when we experience the power of Christ, here's what happens. All of a sudden, we who were one way, or Paul who was one way, this is what happens in Galatians chapter 1, verse 23, end of the chapter. They who were hearing about this said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Of all things, what irony. And as a result, the bottom line, which is the bottom line of all things and the gospel, is that they glorified God because of it. What a radical and dynamic change. The lion who is persecuting the church 
became a lion for the Lord. He didn't have it figured out. He thought he did. He was in a good school. He was in the right church. He was in the good neighborhood. He had the education. He was climbing the career ladder. He wore the robes. He was seen in public. He received honor. He was on the council. He got all kinds of accolades. And he was positioned to be the next chief justice, senator, supreme court, whatever. He was there. But all of a sudden, all of that radically and dynamically changes when the Lord God says to him, you're going the wrong way. Change. And this is who and what I want you to be. So he changed. And from that day forth, he gave up the robes for nakedness. He gave up the accolades for persecution. He gave up the feast for hunger. He gave up the travel privileges for being shipwrecked and he gave up the encouragement for being whipped. And this is how his life changed. After this radical and dynamic change, the Apostle Paul is moving into this new calling. And we see incredible things begin to happen. But even so, it's encouragement to me as I lead a church, not everything is just right for him. There's difficulties. And even the churches that the Apostle Paul led didn't necessarily blossom into 10,000 person congregations on the first day. This is the great Apostle Paul. This is the guy that can do miracles like that. This is an amazing follower of Jesus Christ. And yet, when you look into his churches, you go, wow, the stuff they're dealing with, oh my goodness. And what happens is this, is you know if you've ever watched National Geographic, Whenever the lions go out and make a kill, what's the first thing that happens? The buzzards start circulating up above. And the jackals are right back there on top of the hill waiting to come in and get theirs. And so guess what happens when the Apostle Paul starts a church? The buzzards are circling up above. The jackals are sitting right back there on the hill waiting to come in and get theirs. And he goes in and he starts these churches and he does these amazing things and people are coming to Christ and being baptized. And all of a sudden, he goes to the next place and boom, they swoop in. And they come and they stir things up and they make a mess. And that's pretty much the story of the letters to the New Testament. In each one of them, he's addressing something. Man, you got a problem with this. you got a problem with that. book of Galatians is no different. His church has been established. Paul has come in. And all of a sudden, so have the Judaizers. And what they're saying to these people is, yeah, he gave you this message about salvation and Jesus, and that's all well and good, but we have something more. we got something better. You see how it sprang up out of Judaism, so don't just drop all that. Instead, continue in that. In fact, add it to your faith, because that will help you become more, more holy. So circumcision and Sabbath keeping and all this ritual legalism, you still need to maintain because Christ was good, but not quite enough. And what will really get you there is if you do this. We have a higher way. We've got it figured out. Follow us. And they swoop in. And the apostle is having to come to them and say, no, guys, no, 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 no. Stop, stop, stop. Jesus is not enough? What are you saying? The Lord Jesus is not enough? Oh man, what a mess. 
So here, in chapter 1, Paul begins to clean those things up. And he has to do so. You know, this is not... This is a weird spot for a pastor preacher to be in, right? When people attack you, how do you respond? Do you just let it go and be like, eh, whatever, persecution for the sake of the cross? Or do you clean it up? And here in this spot, it's interesting because Paul is like, you know what, I don't really care about myself. And you can pretty much see that by the way he allows himself to be treated. He doesn't. But the message is so important. The the gospel is so central. That if he allows his authority to be undermined, what's going to happen in the churches? They're going to fall apart and they're going to go to new leadership with a different message and follow a different way. And he can't let that happen. And so he has to stop it right then and there and say, no, listen, I am an apostle. I am called by God. I come with the authority of none other than Christ himself. And this is the truth. Here's how things are going to go. This is the way. And so for the sake of the gospel, not for his own sake, the Apostle Paul is making it very clear in this chapter who he is and what he's all about. I am Paul, the Apostle. Galatians chapter 1. Here it is. When he starts the book, I know that's a lot of feed in, but I want you to get the idea. When he starts the book, he starts off and he says, look, I am Paul. What's the first thing he says? An Apostle. There's only 12 of these, baby. And they're not coming around again. (laughs) I am one of the chief cornerstones of the church. Christ is the cornerstone, and the foundation is built on He and the apostles, and I'm one of them. I am Paul the Apostle. And this is not something I made up. I'm not self-described or anything like that. You know I was going in a totally different direction. But all of a sudden, my life changed, and I got this calling not from men nor through men, but through Christ Himself and God the Father who raised Him from the dead. I want you to know this, guys. Listen, verse 11. That the gospel that I preached by me is not man's gospel, for I didn't receive it from any man. That's not how I came about it. It wasn't through some slick evangelist or fancy TV show. I got it direct from the source through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 12 says, look, I, in, in another version, let me read it to you from the message. This is, this is a paraphrase, but it's a beautiful way of saying it. I didn't receive it through the traditions, and I wasn't taught in some school. You know? I, this is not a product of my culture or my upbringing. It's actually the exact opposite. I got it straight from God. I received the message directly from Jesus Christ. For the sake of the Galatian churches and for the sake of you and me today, for the sake of the gospel, for the health of the church, you need to know that this is true. In other words, for the Apostle Paul to be a genuine apostle, he has to have a first-hand experience, a physical encounter with the risen Savior and Lord. He has to come into contact with Jesus, just like all the others did. Otherwise, he's just another Christian who can say stuff, but it may or may not be authoritative. Otherwise, if the Apostle Paul is not like that, he's just like me. Which means he's a pastor, a Christian leader, but he makes mistakes just like the rest of us. I don't come to you with apostolic authority. I can't issue statements that determine 
right, you know, heaven from hell for you. But the apostles, man, they were that close to Christ. In other words, if they said it, you could put it in the Bible. In other words, the black letters are just as important as the red letters. And here the Apostle Paul says, I come as a royal, official, ambassador, fully sanctioned to speak on His Majesty's behalf. I come bearing the authority of the King. When I speak, you should consider it the words of Christ. I am fully empowered to say what Jesus would say. And when I speak, if you disagree with me, you disagree with Jesus. That's powerful. You know? That is significant. And here is the Apostle then presenting his calling with incredible confidence. Paul's confidence in his life change and in his authority. He's gone to great pains to explain this. And now, after his calling, he will explain his message. So just a reminder where we're at in the sermon. Number one, we've seen the Apostle Paul and his confidence. We've seen his confidence in his calling. This is a big change for me, yet I am fully confident in who Christ made me to be. I'm an apostle. Now we're going to see his message. What is his purpose in life? So just like, you, just like Paul has a calling, you'll have a calling. And just like Paul has a message, you'll have a message. So here's his message. What is his message? His message is the gospel. Stop. Please look up. When I say that term, I almost automatically, I think I know what you're thinking. Oh, the gospel. Jesus died for our sins. Good news. Right? Is that it? Is that the gospel message? If it is, I'm kind of discouraged to tell you the truth. Because if that's all there is to the gospel, then all it means is I'm broken, forgiven, but not fixed. Yeah, I'm, I'm better because I'm not in trouble anymore, but I'm not best. I'm not where I want to be. I'm not perfect. I stand up here and talk every Sunday and I mess up every week. Here I am. But I am definitely not there yet. And if all the gospel is, is a presentation at the end of the sermon, if all the gospel is, is here's a track, go home and think about it. If all the gospel is, heaven when you die, pie in the sky, then we are in big trouble. The gospel is way more than that. The gospel is the eternal plan of God's cosmic redemption. It is huge. It is enormous. It is not just a free ticket out of hell. It is not, here's your fire insurance. It is not, let's make a fancy presentation and go home and feel good about it. No. The Gospel is the enormous, overarching theme of all of creation. It's good news. That's all it is. It's good news. And if, the, if Jesus just died, to me, that's not good news. That's not enough. 
then I'm depressed and I'm discouraged because He died and paid for my sins and that's really cool, but who cares? What I want to hear is that He died, He rose again, and He's coming back. That's the Gospel. And that's cosmic redemption. That is not only that He came, but that He will return the full scope. So that what has been messed up from the beginning will be restored in the end. The gospel is not some little sales pitch. And I know we have been grown up in church. We think about it this way all the time. Hey, you know, present the gospel. Church, please stop. That's not the gospel. The gospel is the eternal good news, not only of Christ's death, but His resurrection and His return. That's what I want and that's what I need. And that's what our world needs too. They don't need another event. They don't need another attractional model that says, hey, come to our church. This will be really cool. You'll love this. What they need is the eternal redemption of Jesus Christ. Bring them to Jesus. Don't bring them to church. Don't bring them to an event. Don't bring them to some presentation. Bring them to Christ. That's what they need. The eternal redemption. It is creation. It is fall. It is redemption. It is restoration. That's the good news. So that in Romans 8, I think you know that passage because you say sometimes, you know, all things work together for good. It's actually right in the middle of God's cosmic plan of redemption. It's not talking about your car. It's talking about creation. Romans chapter 8 says, For creation was subjected to futility. It's on a slide here, verse 20. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of God, of the children of God. It is creation that has been groaning from the very beginning to be redeemed. And we ourselves, verse 23, says not only creation, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as son, the redemption of our bodies. That's what we want. That's the good news. That's what we're after in the end, is the eternal redemption of all things brought about by the work of Christ. From beginning to end, start to finish, it's all about Him. Now we look at this and we say, wow, that's okay. Pastor Jeremy, you're expanding things a little bit, and I hope so. I hope we can see this, and I hope we can apply it, because it's essential for our lives, and it's also essential for this book. As you look at the book of Galatians, you know, if, if the gospel just stopped with the forgiveness of sins, then the Judaizers might be right. Then, in fact, you can improve your Christian growth through the process of legalism and works and yada yada. But reality says, when, when Paul argues for Christian growth, what he says is that you grow in the same way that you were saved. By grace through faith. That Christian growth or sanctification happens in the same way that Christian justification happens. By grace through faith. That's why you don't need circumcision. That's why you don't need Sabbath keeping. That's why you don't need the law. Because it's all from start to finish, the same gospel by grace through faith. 
so that we who are not fully transformed or fully redeemed, we sit here now in the present and go, I look to the past where I was forgiven, but by faith, totally by faith, because I haven't seen it yet, and I don't know for certain in in a scientific sort of way that it's going to happen. I'm just believing that it will. By faith, I believe that Jesus will come back and fix it in the future. So in other words, in this in-between time, between my justification, during my sanctification, looking forward to my glorification, right here, I live by faith. In the same way that I was saved. I was saved by faith, and now I'm being sanctified by faith, and eventually believing that I will be glorified by faith. The whole thing, kit and caboodle, from beginning to end, is by grace through faith. This is the gospel message. And that's the message of the book of Galatians. If we look at this book throughout the whole thing, Paul's going to say, hey, the law, yeah, you know, we had that for a while, but it's not the end goal. The end goal is absolute glory and perfection. That which we've always longed for, to be eternally restored to us in the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. So, the gospel is huge. (laughs) It's big. And I sure hope you'll get this, church. It's really funny because I come here and I say, hey, we got to focus on the gospel. And some people are like, the gospel? We got that. What do you mean the gospel? We've got that figured out. We've got the gospel. Give us the higher things. There is no higher thing. This is it. The gospel. We don't have it figured out. We're just in the middle. And we're looking forward to it being fulfilled. We live from start to finish by grace through faith. Here it is. Paul's calling. Paul's message. Now, how do we apply that to us? I know I've been spending a lot of time in the text and theology. Uh, If you want to see your personal calling... I had it on a slide, but I think I'm going to skip it for now. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. You just read about it. That's your calling. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. That's how God called you. Okay? So you read about how Paul was called. Your calling is defined in Ephesians chapter 1. But the way I think I'll try to explain it to you today is this. This is the application part of the sermon. This is the personal stuff. Um, what I said at the beginning is the message was for you to know your calling and be confident in it. And the way I'm going to explain it is just by a metaphor, sort of an analogy, if you will. And that metaphor is this, and a work of art. You see back here on this easel, this... Um, you know, black covering over something. I haven't told you what it is yet. Are you interested in knowing? Okay, good. Uh, if you're not, then I'm kind of out of luck for the next seven minutes, but six and a half. Um, this, let's just say, is an amazing work of art, okay, behind it. Now, it actually is. It's really cool and beautiful, but I'm not big budget and I'm not bringing in some, you know, <laughs> original masterpiece or anything like that. But let's pretend that it was, okay? Let's pretend that what's behind this is some, you know, original, amazing masterpiece. One of the greats. 
And what happens to these things when they show up or they go for sale is they go to these big auctions. And at these auctions, you know, only select people who have experience and knowledge and also the budget to participate are invited. And they're in small rooms, big group, fancy folks, whatever. I've never seen one and never will. <laughs> but here's one of these auctions and the folks go in and they're bidding on, they're about to bid on this thing and it's covered up. What they don't know is that on the way to the auction, of course, the, the thing was transported, but somebody really messed up and they didn't have it covered. So they took it out in the rain, right? They took it out in the rain and boom, the paint got a blotch. It got a spot. And this is, of course, going to damage the value of this masterpiece tremendously. There's this big blotch on it. So what they also don't know, and this is totally, I'm just making this up, but go with me here, okay? (laughs) What they also don't know is that the original artist is in the room. And they're there, and they're starving artists, but they've, they've put everything they have aside because they're really interested in this one piece. This is the one they actually want to buy back for themselves. And so the bidding war begins, and somebody buys it, and then the artist comes forward and, and decides, and, and, and it's revealed, and all of a sudden there's a blotch, and, you know, and everyone's like, oh, man, it's all messed up, you know? But at that point, the original artist comes forward and says, actually, I'll buy it. Like, You'll buy it? Yeah, in fact, I'll buy it for higher than the original bidding price. Everything I have whoo, on the table for that messed up masterpiece. People are like, well, okay. And there's a little bit of a bidding war between him and the original buyer, but he stomps him out and destroys it really quick. And everyone's like, well, I guess you got a messed up picture. And he takes that messed up picture and he hangs it in the art gallery and displays it messed up. I was like, I don't know what's going on here, but there's the original. It's messed up, whatever. It's on the wall for everyone to see. But what they don't know is that his plan is, after displaying it for a while, he's going to take it off the wall and take it home and restore it to its original splendor and even then some. Because a little bit of paint or ink blotch is no big deal, and he can make it twice as good as he ever did. And that was his masterpiece, and that was his plan. Well, church, this is me and you. And the connection I want to make is this, is look, the, the process of creation, fall, redemption, restoration works just like that. See, here we are, God's original masterpiece. If you think of him as the artist, here we are, made perfect in his image, just right. But then for whatever reason, we mess up, we decide to go out in the rain, and all of a sudden that image is stained, it's blotted, it's messed up. And all of a sudden we don't like it anymore, and the devil owns us. But then Jesus comes and he buys us back and says, I will pay full price with my blood for you, and I am going to put you on display. And you're like, why would you do that? I messed up. You're putting me on display? And the Apostle Paul answers that very clearly. So that his glory might shine forth all the more. Because it's one thing to display a masterpiece that's perfect, but it's even better if you take one that's messed up and make it even better. And this is what the Creator, this is what the Master Artist, this is what the Redeemer does. 
He comes into our world. He takes us, messed up as we are. He hangs us up on the wall and says, Look, there is my work and I am going to complete it. And so what we do then, here's how this plays into us in our calling. If we're the paint, if we're the masterpiece, then when we look at ourselves, when we look at our calling, we don't say to ourselves, yeah, it's no good. How would that make the master feel? He did it. Yeah, it's a little messed up. There's blotches there for everybody to see. But how would it make the master feel if we said, now that painting's just no good? But that's what we do when we say that about ourselves. We insult the maker. Because it's his image, it's his stamp, it's his signature on us. So don't talk bad about the painting, even if it's you. And if your mess-ups are up there for everybody to see, praise the Lord, all the more glory to him, because eventually he's going to fix those and make you even better. And that's the way the Apostle Paul looks at himself. He's, yeah, you guys know my past. It's a mess. It's up on the wall for everybody to see. But the Lord God has bought me, He has redeemed me, and He will restore me. And that is the Gospel message. That's the full picture. And so if you want to be confident in your calling, my advice to you is this, is just think of yourself as God's workmanship. As an incredible painting, a beautiful image, that yeah, it's been stained, it's been messed up, but at the end of the day, He has purchased you, He has redeemed you, and He will restore you. As a result, what happens? A new day will arise. And we become a new creation in Christ. And old things are passed away and behold, all things have become new. And this is the life that you now live. Alive and free in Christ. Father, we thank You for the glorious and good Gospel. The good news of eternal redemption in Jesus Christ. Not just that we're forgiven. Lord God, we are forgiven and free forever and ever and ever. Amen.